Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I was thinking about um, what to talk about, and um, the the topic that came to my mind is a phrase that um, I first heard from Julia Butterfly Hill, one of the people who inspires me. So uh, if you don't know her, she was up in uh, Old Growth Redwood in 1997 through 99. She went up for what she thought was three weeks and ended up being there for two years, um, 300 feet up and um, to help prevent the the logging of the old growth redwoods there. And she's, she changed in that transformation. Uh, she's, she took the name butterfly because it was like a going through a chrysalis and coming out the other end and um, seeing a whole new way of being in the world. And she has this phrase um, that I love called joyful responsibility. Joyful responsibility. She's a very inspiring activist, as you can imagine. Um, she gets, people get so inspired when she she gives a talk at the end of the talk, they come up to her and, and very often say, Oh, you've inspired me so much, Julia. And her response is, Oh, that's wonderful. Inspired you to do what? And I want to talk about how she expresses what how to be engaged using this phrase, joyful responsibility. It's so easy to get confused, outraged, um, in disbelief. You read the headlines every day. It seems like things are getting crazier and crazier every day. And you might think, where are we headed? Are we doomed? Um, is there any hope for humanity? And if you if you have that attitude in hoping that things will go in the right direction, and you are walking around with gloom and doom and despair and outrage and confusion, um, then, you can't really be of service and inspire others like she inspires um, if you're in that kind of negative state because it's contagious. You know how it is you sit around uh, with a few people and saying, oh, I can't believe it now and oh, where are we headed? And, and it kind of rubs off on each other. So she says, and I believe and am inspired, that rather than 
acting and expressing and carrying that kind of negativity, uh, of course, it's important to process that negativity. I've gotten gone through periods of depression and of confusion and despair as I open to situation, particularly with climate. Uh, that's natural. If you're not feeling either anger or concern, uh, then uh, you're not really alive or awake. But to not get stuck there, that's the point, to not get stuck there, because if you're stuck there, that's the energy that everybody feels around you. To process your sorrow and your pain and your, your doubt and come out the other end and getting in touch with how much you love life, how much you care about life, and how much you want to make a difference. And that becomes contagious, like people who come up to her at the end of her talks. <clears throat> in the recent weeks with the fires in Maui, and floods and uh, heat waves, um, and not just climate, of course, then there's the political climate and there's um, war and all of these things. Um, it's, it's a lot, it's really a lot. How are you processing that? Or maybe you're not, maybe you're just turning off and taking a fast from news, which is also a legitimate response if you need to just take a break. But you don't want to be so disconnected, as, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, uh, do not turn your back on suffering, um, especially those of us who are so privileged. Um, we want to feel connected with life. So it's natural to feel these these feelings of negativity, but to not get stuck there and see that this is a very extraordinary time, especially for us who are so fortunate to have been exposed to the Dharma and practice the Dharma. I have this, um, this signature on my email. I have two that I read in the last couple of years, one from my friend um, Terry Patton, who's no longer with us from his book, A New Republic of the Heart. He says, if the measure of a human life is a chance to have significance that extends beyond itself, then we've hit the jackpot. We are alive at game time on the planet when everything we value is genuinely threatened when it's time for all hands on deck. You know, you see these um, superhero movies or you probably have seen movies your whole life about 
the the universe is in the hands of just a few people who might save it the empire strikes back and uh, uh and uh well the empire is the bad guys but uh but the uh the the luke skywalker and uh i forget what what his side is called what is this side called what is it you know the good guys um and you say come on they can do it there's just a few there's just a few of us and there's gazillion of those but we can do it and they do well this is who we are right now, only there's not just a few of us and a gazillion of the others. Actually, I feel the good in people, there's a whole lot more goodness in people and a whole lot of people who are in touch with their goodness than there are people who are confused. And there's a lot of confusion out there, right? How do you respond to it? I, I, I'll, I'll share this. I, I don't want to get really into politics, but I... I want to mention this one just amazing article that I read this week. And I want you to see what your response is when you hear this leading candidate for governor in one state um, has a very different reality than probably you and I. And I just shared, uh, wrote down or copied a few things. Um, you wouldn't be surprised if the moon landing in 1969 was fake. He's, he falsely accused, uh, David Hogg, the survivor of the, one of the survivors of the Parkland shooting of being a paid actor. He claimed climate change is based on junk science Music industry is run by Satan, and Beyonce's music is satanic, uh, and and described Jay Z as demonic and sent by Satan to turn people away from Jesus, and he believes in conspiracy theories which involve forced depopulation programs, a secretive ruling class of reptiles, and elite globalists on a satanic mission to bring about the end times. Okay, how do you take that in? Do you do you hate that person? I read that and I couldn't hate that person. How could I how could you hate somebody who just has a, a view of reality that's quite different from I think reality? Do you come out with hatred? In the Buddha's understanding the word ignorance is used in a very specific way not that someone is stupid but ignorance means they just don't see clearly because if we see clearly then we are not causing suffering and we are not feeling separate from those around us. So if you put it in terms of not seeing clearly as ignorance, then that has a very different response than those are evil people, even people who are doing hurtful, 
things are just not seeing clearly. That takes a bigger perspective. That takes the perspective of, of Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. Which to me is one of the highest spiritual teachings of all. So rather than hatred, which the Buddha warned against, you see the confusion behind it. The Buddha said, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by love alone. This is an ancient and eternal law. So if you have something other than hatred, if you have contempt, another common response, the, a kind of superiority, those you can fill in the blank, however you want to call it. That's just another way of closing our hearts. This is from Martin Luther King. <clears throat> you have no moral authority over those who can feel your underlying contempt. You have no moral authority over anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. And I have to work with this for myself. I, I must confess, I have my human side and saying, oh God, I can't believe. And I get it out periodically in a conscious way and try to be conscious as I'm watching some news programs that just kind of let me vent and get it out. But, but rather than contempt, to process that as a compassionate understanding of their confusion and just seeing causes and conditions. It's causes and conditions that make people think the way they do and act the way they do. And if maybe I was raised like that candidate, that could be me. Whatever the temperament and whatever the uh, circumstances and life experience and whatever the conditioning, that could be me. You know that saying, there but for the grace of God go I. There's a, a tremendous humility in that that can help us start to soften our hardness of heart. I've been reading um, Pema Chodron in the last uh, last week or so. My wife and I have uh, have decided to uh, to go back to a, <clears throat> a wonderful book of hers uh, called "The Places That Scare You." Anybody read that book? It's a really great book. If you're caught in fear, or you're uh, you're having a whole lot of negativity and it's hard for you to face things. It's a wonderful book, The Places That Scare You. And she has this beautiful teaching of <clears throat> getting underneath your fear and your anger or whatever it is that on the external is filled with 
a negativity that's that's function is to protect you she says get underneath that outer layer and let yourself access that soft spot underneath that place of vulnerability where the anger isn't so protecting because underneath anger there's usually something else underneath anger or underneath uh, contempt um, there's a soft spot of hurt i want to read to you a, pa a passage from uh, from the book that we were just reading yesterday that um, that points this getting in touch with that spot underneath. She says, to move from aggression to unconditional loving kindness can seem like a daunting task, but we start with what's familiar. The instruction for cultivating Limits, limitless metta, she calls it Maitri, metta and Maitri, the same. Maitri is the Sanskrit of metta. I'll, I'll use metta. The instruction for cultivating limitless metta is to first find the tenderness that we already have. We touch it with our gratitude or appreciation, our current ability to feel goodwill, in a very non-theoretical way, we contact the soft spot of bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is the awakened heart, the goodness of heart that is who we really are. Whether we find it in the tenderness of feeling love or the vulnerability of feeling lonely is immaterial. If we look for that soft unguarded place, we can always find it. For instance, even in the rock hardness of rage, if we look below the surface of the aggression, we generally find fear. And I would say sometimes hurt as well. We generally find fear. There's something beneath the solidity of anger that feels very raw and sore. Underneath the defensiveness is the brokenhearted, unshielded quality of bodhicitta, this goodness of heart. Rather than feel the tenderness, however, we tend to close down and protect against the discomfort. That we close down is not a problem. In fact, to become aware of when we do so is an important part of the training. The first step in cultivating loving kindness is to see when we're erecting barriers between ourselves and others. This compassionate recognition is essential. Unless we understand in a non-judgmental way that we are hardening our hearts, there's no possibility of dissolving that armor. Without dissolving the armor, the loving kindness of bodhicitta, of this good heart, is always held back. We're always obstructing our innate capacity to love without an agenda. 
So we train in awakening the loving kindness of bodhicitta, this good heart, in all kinds of relationships, both open-hearted and blocked. All these relationships become aids in uncovering our ability to feel and express love. So if you find your, your self-hardening or outraged, not to pretend it's, it's not so, not to judge yourself for it. You're just being human, but to go underneath that and feel that soft spot underneath that hurts or that's frightened. And it's in that vulnerability as the armor starts to soften that we begin by having some love and compassion towards ourselves. And as we can feel that, then we can feel the connection that we all share with everyone who's outraged, angry, othering, somehow feeling different than we do, but having that same feeling of closed offness. And so we can, we can relate, we can feel a commonality as we soften and open our hearts. And when we do, what comes out? Love and joy. Because joy is just an expression of aliveness. And there's a real gratitude that you're not stuck in that place of tightness. And you see, oh, there's a whole lot of confusion out there and you want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. Joanna Macy, her beautiful spiral of, <clears throat> of active hope. She says, you, she starts with gratitude, feeling grateful for all the blessings in your life. And with that bigger context, then you can start to process and metabolize all the hurt and the pain and the grief and the sorrow from that context of gratitude and connection. And as you process your pain and your grief and you metabolize it, then it comes out the other end. You then are at the phase of what she calls seeing with fresh eyes and seeing, oh, I'm part of everything. I'm connected to everything. And there becomes a, a movement to want to make a difference and want to um, want to make this a better world. And that's where the joyful responsibility comes in. Instead of feeling getting lost in gloom and doom, you have a positive vision and you want to contribute like terry Patton says oh all hands on deck we've hit the jackpot here <clears throat> and to to do that to feel the wholesomeness of our actions then we are inspired to contribute um, in in his book, Authentic Happiness, Martin Seligman, uh, the father of positive psychology, he says, the greatest form of happiness comes from 
identifying your own strengths that life has gifted you with and then offering them in a spirit of contribution to the world. That's where the real joy comes in. It's such a paradox. We usually think that happiness, many of us, not us Dharma practitioners, of course, but many of us think, oh, the idea is to get as much as I can. This will make me happy and that'll make me happy. The Buddha and Seligman say quite the opposite. It's not what I can get, it's what, what I can give. This is where the real joy comes in. There's a, 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 a line I love from Shanti Deva, who, who wrote the, the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, which is the Dalai Lama's, basically his Bible. Uh, and this one line in there, he says, <clears throat> the miracle of awakening lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. Isn't that a beautiful line? The miracle of awakening lifts us above poverty. That small-minded, what's in it for me, lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. That's the miracle of awakening and the joy of making a difference. And making a difference means you let go of your report card, you let go of the, the kudos that might come your way. You do it just because it feels good. You do it for the rightness of it, as, as uh, it says in the Talmud, the great body of Jewish wisdom. You do it just because it feels aligned. If it was, if the world were coming to an end, this line in the Talmud says, and you knew that nothing you did could make a difference, you'd still do the right thing just because it feels right. Now, I'm of the mind that it's so important to have a positive vision of possibilities because that inspires and that gives us action. And that gives us a skillful action, energized action, rather than um, despairing action or fearful action. Uh, so whether it's climate or uh, all any host of uh, ills in this world, we have the medicine. We are so fortunate. We have the medicine of the Dharma, of understanding interconnectedness of seeing cause and effect of seeing how actions have consequences of seeing the power of living a life of integrity of developing compassion and caring for others and non-human as well as as human and of having the power of intention that inspires others as well. We have the medicine. So 
if we just sit back in the sidelines and say, oh, well, there's no hope here, then we've just not only thrown in the towel, but we're one of the whole stew of the world that feels, oh, is this hopeless? No, don't go there. As uh, another teacher, I have, this is also on my signature, on my emails. Um, Belvy Rook says, this is the moment we were born for. This is the moment we were born for. Wow, to be here on planet Earth at this time, wow. And we have the Dharma. And it's not that only Buddhists have the Dharma. There's one Dharma, whether you, whatever religious or spiritual tradition you have, but we have an understanding of the way things are that's contagious, that inspires others as well. So it's almost, uh, well, not just an opportunity, but a responsibility to have your practice shine forth and awaken the goodness in others. That's how it works. That's why the Buddha taught. He didn't, after he was enlightened, he said, well, I don't know if I want to go out there and teach this. What if people don't get it? And then he saw so many people with just a little dust covering their eyes. And he said, oh, they can understand what I understand. So if you see your practice is a, is a gift to the world, then it becomes exciting. Then there's this feeling of both a responsibility and joy that you can make a difference. And in order to do that, I want to end with a, a teaching that I love of the Buddhas on clear comprehension of purpose. A clear comprehension of purpose, the Buddha said, besides being mindful of your actions and knowing that you're breathing in and breathing out or lifting, moving, and placing, if you're doing walking meditation, he says, have a bigger vision have a bigger intention other than being mindful in this moment. You want to both awaken for yourself and also see that your awakening is a gift to everybody else. Just like he decided, okay, I'm not just going to sit here for the rest of my life. I'm going to spend the next, as he did, the next 45 years of his life tirelessly sharing because he wanted to spread the good news, if you will. So having a clear comprehension of purpose, an inspiring vision that moves you and helps you hold your practice in a larger context um, gives a lot of energy and inspiration to your Dharma practice. So to close, and then we can see if there's any conversation that we can have, I just invite you to um, just go inside.
And if you've been practicing for a while, just get in touch with what's important for you, why you practice, why you come to a Thursday night, either online or, or live. What moves you? And whatever your personal motivation for your own well-being, see it in the context of a larger vision that inspires you, where others benefit from your own practice however it manifests. And as you can get in touch with your clear comprehension of purpose, see if you can put it in a few words that resonate for you, that might be your North Star in your practice these days, that everything that you do can be held in this context. And when you get in touch with it, just feel the rightness of it, the place that it's coming from that seed of enlightenment, that bodhicitta, the awakened heart, and delight in that, feel joy in that. And let that be a guiding principle for you, not just tonight or these next few days, but hold fast to it so that your practice has a richness and an inspiration. And so your actions can come from this joyful responsibility to have everybody benefit from your practice. So we have a few minutes and um, we can hear um, either from people here live in the monastery. Thank you for coming. And uh, if there are people online, if you want to say something, respond, ask something. 
And uh, be helpful if you use the reaction box to raise your hand, and then I can uh, know that you have something to say. Anybody here? Yes, and let's see. Do we have a do we have a second mic? Uh, no, we don't. Okay, so you'll have to say it out loud, and then I'll. <clears throat> oh wait, maybe Luke, you have a mic. Hang on, we'll just get a mic for you. Yes. Uh, hello. There we go. Hello, hello. Great. Thank. Asla's gonna give you a mic. And put it right next to your mouth. Is it? Is it on? It's. It's not on. Okay, but you'll have to you'll speak loud so I can hear you too. Okay, <clears throat> so I'll just repeat it uh, for people here. <clears throat> she asks, uh, I, I said, Jesus saying, uh, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then, then you, you said that uh, your understanding was that the Buddha said, I'll teach, but only those with a little dust covering their eyes. That's not my understanding. The Buddha said, oh, there are there are many with but a little dust covering their eyes, so I will teach. Not oh, I won't I won't teach to everybody. Actually, he did teach to everybody who would listen, and many people who were very confused um, saw the light, including Angulimala, the famous story of Angulimala, who was a serial killer and in the story supposedly had killed 999 people and the buddha was going to be the thousandth and the buddha broke the spell that he was under and he ended up being a fully enlightened being so actually the buddha says there's hope for everyone that we all have that capacity however there are people who are very wounded and it's not it's not accessible to touch that place in in them and if you're talking about i'm not sure if you're talking about the perpetrators or people who've been traumatized 
if you're a victim and you've been traumatized and it's and you have a lot of dust covering your eye you mean or or hmm oh how should i be in in relationship to my perpetrator uh you have to do the trauma work and heal yourself and you might not be you can't uh um um hurry the process you have to feel safe you have to you might reach the point where you don't wish them ill where you don't hate them or you don't wish ill on them but you have your own safety in the in the metta practice when you are sending metta to the difficult person you're not wishing that they go out and have a good time doing their unskillful things you're actually wishing that they will be able to find true happiness within themselves because if they can find true happiness within themselves they're not going to hurt other people so that's that's advanced metta not wishing them ill wishing them to wake up at some point and having a very healthy and safe boundary for yourself and just being um honoring your process of healing um and those who are victims and you probably know this for yourself i've seen many people who've gone through tremendous trauma coming out the other end and are great healers so we know that that's possible too it's just a, a process that uh you can't hurry and you get as much support as you can as you're going through that okay well it's time um so i'm, I'm sorry i don't have more time it didn't look like there were many questions anyway so um we can uh, we can close with a um, dedication of merit, and once again, thank you for coming. Thank you for showing up here, and uh, <clears throat> hope you enjoy Walt next week. Um, so, just getting in touch with your good heart that would bring you here. and taking all of the goodness that might come to yourself and to all of us being here together and sharing it all with the world, with all beings. May all wake up from their unawareness and see the truth of things and get in touch with their goodness and share their love well. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere and to this planet. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.